right, um, we are in Genesis, and you should have an outline on the table in front of you, and there should be pens to assist you if you wish to take notes. We are in the first chapter, of course, still, um, and we are on day two of creation, day two, so that'll be verses six through eight. That's what we'll read first after, uh, after I pray. So let's, let's bow together. Father, thank you for uh, the, this good day that you have given to us. We thank you for the good fellowship that you have uh, allowed us to have around the table. And we, we appreciate our friends and, and perhaps new people that we've met today for the first time. And I pray your blessing upon all who are here. Uh, encourage their hearts. Uh, bless them as they leave this place in a little while. And may we be uh, a reflection of the love of Christ uh, to those that we see today. Bless us as we study Genesis. Speak to our hearts. Thank you for the good food. Use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. And we say to you, we love you and we adore you. Thank you for your incredible creation. Thank you for all that we enjoy as residents of this part of the state of Texas. In Jesus' name, amen. to the guys who have their spouses with them here today, uh, you're a smart fella to make this your Valentine dinner or lunch. <laughs> yeah, okay with that? A bowl of soup for your wife on, uh, on the Valentine's Day. It's pretty cool. All right. Let's read chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. All right, you ready? And God said... Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And so, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So we'll stop there for a moment. Again, as he did with day one, God spoke. God speaks again. The vault or the expanse, uh, rakia is the Hebrew word. There is a horizontal area, the scripture says, extending through the very heart of the mass of water, dividing it into two layers, one above the other, creating an upper and a lower layer of water. And it was the visible expanse of sky with the waters of the sea below and the clouds holding the waters above. So that's what God did on on this day. It's the blue that we see when we look up. God called it sky. This is a phenomenological description of the earth's atmosphere as viewed from the earth. The naming of day and night and sky would have been understood by the children of the Exodus. We've already been talking about how they understood what they were hearing from Moses. They would have understood this to be an act of sovereign dominion. God himself giving a name to what they were seeing, sky and sea, water Day, night. Later, God will entrust His dominion over the earth to someone else, allowing Him to name all the living creatures. And we will get there soon. And who is His name? 
Adam. All right. So, at the end of day two, Moses has dismissed two more pagan gods. He has dismissed the pagan gods of the sky and the pagan god of the sea. And he is clearly showing that God is creator and that he alone is God. There are no others. And this was very important for the children of the Exodus to understand because they have come out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt where they are surrounded by people who believe in a multiplicity of pagan gods. So it is important for them to understand there is one true living God. Day three, look at verse nine. Are you surprised we got through day two so quickly? Mm-hmm. Day three, I told you we would accelerate. We've got to, but verse nine, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry land, dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So let's think about the third day for a moment. The earth has been warmed by the light, robed in blue, and dappled with clouds floating over a sparkling sea. Pretty cool if you ask me. It is amazing what God did in creation. Now on day three... God speaks twice more. His first speech completes the forming of earth. Verses 9 and 10 completes the forming of earth. Nothing new created, but a final ordering between the land and the sea. Chaos is gone. Remember early on when we talked about the the chaos and the Spirit of God fluttering over that chaos. That is now Gone, and the world we know has been given shape by God. With the second word on day three, the emphasis begins to switch toward the theme of fullness or filling. So we've had forming. Remember the chart I put up here last Sunday? In fact, last Wednesday I see that some of it's still there. I need to, I need to, Jeanette, where are you? I need to get your, um, yeah, your hand soap and wash that off. So we've moved now from forming the earth to the filling of creation, the filling of earth as he speaks plant life into existence in verses 11, 12, and 13. So the gods of earth vegetation and vegetation are dismissed. Again, Moses is carefully, we read this and we're not thinking in terms of the multiplicity of, of gods, um, pantheism. We aren't thinking about that, but they were. Because that's where they had lived for 400 years. And they knew that they were supposed to believe there's one true and living God, but sometimes they struggled. And so Moses is making it clear 
that there is only one God and he dismisses the God of the earth and of, vege- of vegetation. There is no sea God, S-E-A. There is no sea God, only the seas that God controls as he does the earth and the vegetation. So the earth is now ready for the next step. Vegetation is there, trees, prairies, all that. What comes next? Animate, animate life, mobile life. The fixed forms are in place. There's a tree here, there's a mountain there, the seas are here, the land is here, the sky is there. Now we're ready for mobile life, animate life, and the first three days uh, are, are now history. first three days are history. Now, before we go to day four, I want to talk for a moment about Christ and creation. I want you to think about Christ in creation. Number one thought about that is Christ is the light. Christ is the light. He says so in John 8:12. Jesus said, "I am the light of the world." Now, for people who were still trying to figure out who he was, that was an audacious statement that he happened to make in the temple of all places with the, the beautiful candlelight that was there, and Jesus makes this enormous statement, "I am the light." Of the world. So understand again, we read that, and we who know Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus, we've heard He's the light of the world for years, and we say, Yeah, yeah, Jesus is the light of the world. I got that. But think about the disciples and others who were there and heard Him say it I am the light of the world. An astonishing statement, and an astonishing place in which to make that statement. But the scripture tells us more than once that Jesus is the light of the world. It is clearly a solemn declaration of his divinity. I and the Father are one, he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And on and on and on. Jesus makes claims about himself. Now, we, 2,000 years this side of the cross, know how important those statements are and that they have been verified in Jesus. But when you are first century hearing him say it, then you see him die on the cross. What is it that then has to happen in order for those statements to be verified? The resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. You know, I've said this before. Anybody could say what Jesus said about themselves. I could. I could say, I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd, all those things. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But hang me on a cross and put me in a tomb, and I'm not coming out. So what I say is proven to be false. Jesus made those statements, died on a cross for our sin, and then on the third day arose from the grave in triumph over death, proving that everything he had said about himself was absolutely 100% true. So when he said, I'm the light of the world, we know that that is true. And just to remind you of where we are going, I read Revelation 21-23. Let this marinate in your mind for a little while. 
Speaking of heaven, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And who's the Lamb? Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus says, Jesus is the light, Christ is the light, but also in the context, uh, this is where I was getting at with that, Christ is the creator. Christ is the creator. Jesus, the light, was present at the events of Genesis chapter 1. In a minute, we're going to get a picture of uh, the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three present at creation, and we'll see how that lines out in just a minute. Christ the Creator, He was present at the events of Genesis 1. Jot these verses down. John 1, 1 through 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Mm, mm, mm. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of the world. Wow. More. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. For us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Again, Christ at creation, Christ the Creator. And then Colossians 1.16. If you're looking in your quiet time one day to just, uh, you're not sure where you want to go next, and you want to see Christ exalted incredibly, read Colossians. Uh, it is an astonishing, oh, it's amazing. Okay, Colossians 1.16. For in Him, that's Jesus, in Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. And if that's not enough, it says He is before all things, and to Him all things hold, in Him all things hold together. Not only did He make it, He's keeping it all together. The reason we don't fly off into outer space is because Christ is holding on to his creation. Now, one more, and then we'll get back to Genesis. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. In heaven, they're singing, the living creatures are singing to Jesus. You are worthy. Our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. They're singing and talking to and about Jesus. So Christ is the creator. Lastly, before we move on to day four, Christ brings order. Christ brings order. 
Christ the light, Christ the creator brings order out of the dark chaos of our lives. Just as chaos disappeared at creation, so in our lives when Christ comes to dwell in us, the chaos of our lives is gone. He brings life, light, and order. The same power, get your arms around this one, the same power that flung the stars into the ever-expanding universe while ordering the cells in your body to do what your cells are supposed to do also is the one who brings light into your life. Now that's too much for my peanut brain except to say, Oh Lord my God, in awesome wonder I behold you and worship you. He's the light, He's the creator, He's the Savior, He's the Son of God. All of that in Jesus. Okay, then let's go back to the text. Uh, Days 1 through 3, forming the earth. Now days 4 through 6, filling the earth. So let's read about day 4, beginning with verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. Obviously referring to what? The sun and the moon. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. I've often wondered what that moment was like when God was finished with a day, one of his work days, and looked, contemplated it, and said, that's good. (laughs) I'm amazed, just amazed at that. Well, the filling with light on day four is told twice by Moses. The second telling is the reverse of the first. The geocentric, that is, looking at it from Earth's vantage point. Now, um, Moses does not name the sun and the moon. He says the greater light and the lesser light. Um, He avoids using the word sun and moon because those two are, quote, gods, end quote, in the Egyptian pantheon. And so Moses doesn't even want to use their names at this point. So he calls them the the greater light and the lesser light. The sun and the moon are not gods, but they are God's creations. With a mere word, the expression of God's will, the solar system was set in the universe. One of God's work days... He did it. I don't know how long it took. It's God's work day. But what a marvelous, incredible thing it must have been. What a wonder 
is our universe. I wish I had time to take about three weeks and just talk about the wonder of the universe. I can't do that. Let me give you, you know these two examples. Uh, The earth is slanted. Tilted, I think, is probably the right, more accurate term. Who knows what, how many degrees the earth is tilted? 23 degrees. Tilted, 23 degrees. What does that give us? Our seasons. Absolutely right. It gives us our seasons. Um, We have two of those seasons in in Belton. (laughs) We have summer and three days of winter. But although this year it looks like a little more than that. Think about the distance of the moon from the earth. Just right. Just perfect. If the moon were closer to the earth, then the tides would inundate the continents. It's it's amazing. God thought it and willed it, and it was. This was Christ's handiwork. Christ ordains it all. The earth is filled with rotating light. We have sun and we have light and dark and light and dark and light and dark. We have longer daylight in the summer, shorter daylight in the winter, and it's all just the way God ordained it to be. It's amazing. Well, let's go on. You know, I I contemplated camping out longer at some of these places, and I thought... I want to live long enough to finish Genesis, so we'll keep moving. Of course, that's up to God, you know, I may or may not, but let's look at verse 20, day 5. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. By the way, I told you last week, Jewish days begin in the evening at sunset. And here's, this is why. Evening and morning. Evening followed by morning. So the day for them begins at sunset, whereas for us, uh, well, it's at midnight, I know, but still their reckoning is a little different than ours. Now, um, let's stop there. God fills the waters and the sky with animate life. Great sea creatures, you think of whales and sharks and Smaller species, um, you know, and some some of some of the things that live in the sea are absolutely gorgeous. I know you've seen you've seen them. Um, it's amazing. The skies. What what is a bird watcher called? An ornithologist? Or, is that right? Ornithologist. Well, the skies. His delight or her delight 
Eagles, hawks, ravens, gulls, geese, ducks, woodpeckers, sparrows, finches, cardinals, blue jays, bluebirds, you name it. God made them and filled the sky with them. And after you'd done that, God observed once again. He said, it's good. This is good. So we're seeing the filling. But the best is yet to come. And that's what happens next. Day six. Look first at verses 24 and 25. God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So in those two verses, God fills the dry ground with land creatures. And... um, Categories are generic. He doesn't name every animal, doesn't need to. Just generic categories. Livestock, domesticated animals, creatures that move along the ground. It wouldn't necessarily have just been snakes and snails, but it would have been small, the small animals. Wild animals, no need to worry about them though, yet. All creatures, great and small, the Lord God made them all. I don't know where I first heard that. I guess in Sunday school when I was a kid. The mind of God did it. Listen to Psalm uh, 19. The 19th Psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, that is, from the sky. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The psalmist, David, was amazed at God's creation. So think about what we get to do in the 21st century. You can look through the Hubble telescope and learn of God. They got books galore of pictures taken from the Hubble telescope. And we learn about God. You can look through a microscope and learn about God. You can touch and taste and learn about God. He made the seen and the unseen. You know, if we could see everything that's in this room, we would be like, whoa. God doesn't allow us to see everything that's in this room. We see what we need to see, and that's all. What we do see, we learn of Him. And God looked and saw that it was good, and we worship the God who made it all. He did all this to form an environment for man. Surely in it we see His awe, and we see His care for us. Now, creation was full and ready for its ultimate fullness with the creation of man. Now, I want you to notice how things seem to slow down as we reach the apex of creation. So, we're out of time. Just look at verse 26. 
Then God said, let us, who's us? Come back next week. (laughs) Let us make mankind in our image. In the image of God. Oh, in our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And that's where we'll start next Wednesday. This is the apex, the climactic moment of creation. And that's the creation of man. All right, I can't wait. I'll see you next time. Let's bow together. Father, thank you. You are an incredible God. You are utterly amazing and powerful. And that you would choose to love us in the way in which you love us is far greater than we could possibly even begin to understand. So we simply know to do this. To say that we love you. We adore you. We worship you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next time.